Thank you for listening to this episode of the James Donald Forbes McCann Catamaran Plan. If you'd like to listen to bonus episodes, go sign up to the Patreon. That's patreon.com. Clom. Ah, we fucked it. Anyway, you'll look, you'll find a way. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the James Donald Forbes McCann Catamaran Plan. On this episode, something a bit different. Usually, we're very self-referential on this podcast, a podcast that exists for one purpose, so that I, James Donald Forbes McCann, can make enough money to buy a boat. Looking to get about $500,000. We're quite a long way away. So on this episode, uh, it's a long-form, more traditional podcast interview with James Hennessy. I thought... Maybe as a way of drumming up more interest, more people listening to the podcast, uh, getting more advertising money and getting that boat even sooner, it would be a good idea for me to start interviewing interesting people in a more traditional interview podcast format. So I reached out to James, I sent him a direct message, and he agreed to come on the podcast. And I think we had a great chat. I used to work with James at pedestrian.tv when I very, very briefly worked there. He sat next to me. And I really uh, thought he was a great guy. After that, he moved on to Business Insider Australia. And he now runs a substack called The Terminal, which you can reach at theterminal.info. Uh, it's all about, and I quote, artifacts and esoterica in business, tech, culture and politics from James Hennessy. We discuss that. We talk about how he went uh, from being a deputy head of pedestrian and then the head of business insider australia to having his own Substack, and we had a very long-ranging chat we cover crypto nfts elon musk the metaverse tickety talk and we speak more generally about culture and aesthetics as well so please enjoy our conversation when i did briefly work with you i was deputy editor of pedestrian so i did that for a few years um and then i moved over to being editor of business insider uh, so I did that for a few years as well. Um, and basically, look, in total, I was an editor for um, for how long? That's a really good question. Like for basically five, five or six years, essentially. So it was, I was, it, was, it was there for a long time. And essentially, I got to the point where I was like, 
you know, I'm doing a lot of managing and I'm doing a lot of admin and I'm doing a lot of facilitating writing, but I'm not doing a huge amount of writing myself. Um, so I had like a, a bit of a moment where I sort of went back and re- read stuff that I had written years prior, like magazine work and even blogs that I'd written in you know, 2014, 2013, even earlier. And I was looking at that and being like, I think I was a better writer then than I am now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful point I, to get to. It was, a, it was a, only because, you know, back then you, I, would, you know, I was freelancing, I was doing whatever, so I had to hustle and put out a lot of work. Um, and look, I think maybe I was probably I was probably talking down my my abilities a little bit. I'm definitely hugely more informed. No, than I was. look, <laughs> no, but I understand because I when I got out of that, I was working somewhere. I was working at um, a place called Rip It Up before then, and then I came to Pedestrian, yeah. and I sort of had. I was just I was in that news cycle churning. Yeah, totally. At Six a.m. Yeah, you're like really very very part of the discourse. And uh, when I had a bit of a snap and went on a holiday, and I wasn't doing that for a while. The, the relief and the joy and the way that I was able to read really yep. changed because it is it is a sick sort of it's a constant yeah absolutely the immediacy is so much more important than the way one is writing yeah absolutely no totally so anyway so I got to a point where I was like look I'm not really I'm not writing enough and I do love writing so you know um, so I, I set basically I set up a Substack but I was sort of it, and this is while I was. While I was still an editor, obviously I wasn't charging for it at that time. I was just writing sporadically whenever I wanted. I was really enjoying it, building up a, um, a database of free subscribers. And then I sort of got to a point where I was like, all right, well, what do I want to do next? Um, and I basically, uh, after a lot of faffing around, I came to the conclusion of, look, I'd like, basically, I'm going to leave Business Insider, which you know I was enjoying on its for on, on its own level, but again wasn't writing as much. As no, I that's would. good. Keep all those bridges. That's a great exactly. No, I'm not <laughs> that's a good. I I've, that's anything. a good exit interview. Uh, I've really enjoyed my time here. It's time for me to open a new chapter. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Also, business, like, shortly after I left, Business Insider did leave Australia, so that bridge was actually burned. Ah, yeah. Good. I mean, they... <laughs> um, so anyway, um, I got. So at the moment, I'm not doing the Substack 100 full time. I've, I've pieced together a bunch of freelance work and consulting work and whatever, but it is kind of what my core focus. Um, and look, it wasn't just, uh, as we were kind of talking about before, it's, it's not just about the fact that I wanted to do it, but also like the, the environment is very uh, amenable to it now, right? Like people are actually yeah. willing to pay for a newsletter, which is... Um, it boggles my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. Because I, I am not. I mean, I'm very. I'm desperately poor. I got sure. two small children. I currently freelance. I'm doing freelance SEO copy and um, comedy. Neither of which is a particularly. Um, <laughs> sure. Like, they, these aren't big earners. They get sure. the rent done in, yeah, uh, in yeah. Adelaide, which is even not a great deal of rent to have um, to pull down. But I'm shocked that Patreon, the percentage of people who uh, participate in, it, like the, the number of paid subscribers versus total subscribers, astoundingly high. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah. Th- there has been a big shift, and it's not just weirdos. No. You know, it's, it's reasonable, normal human beings. And it is weirdos as well. Let's, let's not forget yeah. the weirdos, but they've, oh, they've always been willing to, to pay for We them. love and appreciate our weirdos, Absolutely. and we're happy to have them Absolutely. on board. But it does feel like that that paid journal, like Substack is explicitly trying to make it about paid journalism and saying this old model of journalism has fallen apart, um, you know, these things are mouthpieces for billionaires and political interests. Yeah. Here's Glenn Greenwald um, saying whatever he wants to say exactly. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you can pay to get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, this, they, they call it, it's kind of like, 
broadly speaking, they talk about it as like the creator economy, you know? Um, yes. So it, it's it, <laughs> writing sort of came to that late. No, it's it's getting your titties out for words. Well, exactly. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is the only first model. Or if you want to be less crass about it, it's sort of like yeah. the, the Twitch model, right? You know? Um, yes. That It's the same sort of thing. And it's surprising that... Um, it took so long for it to really catch on for writing. I feel like writing was at the end of the curve as opposed to as opposed to like exactly. Absolutely, it was. Well, I mean, I think music still has not figured out a way to do it, and and may not. I think Kanye is the only person I know of who's tried to do it, and I don't think it's been a particularly successful launch of all the things that he's done. Yeah, uh, where he had the, he just, he's brought out the stem player and gone like right. Well, can I refinance what the internet? Has definanced. Yeah, and but yeah, you know, potentially that may it may work. The problem with music is that you know the 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 the, the fundamental baseline product of music is songs, and you yes. you can get that for one subscription. Not an opera man over here. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, true. Sorry, I apologize for that. <laughs> um, no, but you can. The subscription service works so brilliantly as a consumer for music yeah, that exactly. I can't see it. And like, yes, absolutely. It's, va- it's vastly exploitative for artists and not making as much money yeah. that they could. But, you know, you, there's... Unless you have a... There's a really cool, small... And they're, try, they're trying to do it with, like, NFTs and stuff now because they're obviously fans that want that sort of... Man, I want to discuss Timberland with you, if at all possible, because I, I saw a thing that you posted of him and I went down a big wormhole. I did not realise that Timberland... The reason he hasn't been making great hits anymore is he's just gone into a weird NFT, you got to hustle reality. It's repulsive. (laughs) It's one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. This man is the Mozart of, you know, making uh, uh, drum noises with your mouth. Yeah, yeah. And he's wasting his talent going like, you got to hustle. You got to get a, you got to get this NFT now. Yeah. It's bizarre. No, there's. There's a lot of people that are kind of in that at the moment. And there's, there's, I, it's, this is one of the things I try to get my head around in the newsletter, this weird culture of, new, this weird new crypto culture, which definitely actually feels like a genuine, well, I mean, like we're, we're on the precipice of something. I don't know exactly what it sure, is. Sure, sure. Something is happening. What it is. Are you, are you financially, do you have skin in the crypto game? Um, I have very minor skin in the crypto game. Um, I'm, do, I'm not Are you a Doge person? Or no, do you think- no. I mean, I hold like a little bit of Bitcoin and I sort of trade a little bit, but it's relatively small amount of money. And it's mostly because I got into it because I was writing about this stuff a lot. Um, and I thought, look, I need to actually invest myself a little bit in understanding the, the process. Although even when I think about when I think about it, well, yeah, Hunter S. Thompson going. No, I just need to put the LSD in my body well, that's so it, yeah. I well, know what people are doing. But at the same time, like when I take a bird's eye view of it, it's kind of like someone that works at like you know the Wall Street Journal or the AFR being like, oh, I just need to buy a few stocks to get a feel for it. <laughs> it's just like that's why Albo needed that third house just so that he exactly. could really bond with Middle Australia. Yeah, yeah. so he uh, doesn't want them. Yeah, so and look, I'm, I look, I'm pleased to say I've, I've made an incredibly modest gain in my crypto investment. Which is which is to say that I haven't lost anything. Um, I'm I I tend to swing the pendulum for me swings for me being like a, a pro or anti anti guy all the time. Every now and again, I'm like I, I wake up and I'm like this technology has some applications or has applications, and once we sort of push through the frontier of like absolute like horrifying sort of extractive scams, <laughs> on the other side we're going to have something worth thinking about. And then sometimes I look at it and I'm like. But when? Like, when is this going to happen? My main metaverse question that I'd like to ask you as an expert yeah. on these matters is why does every metaverse thing look extremely shit? 
Yeah, look, like we have wonderful video game technology. There are whole rooms full of people whose job is to make really beautiful online spaces. Mm-hmm. Not a single metaverse person has figured that out yet. Yeah. So, there, I mean, the there are two questions there. The first one is why is there like a dearth of like actual genuine aesthetic beauty? I think that just can be answered by the fact that nobody in this space has any taste whatsoever, right? <laughs> I think I think I think that's a very very easy question to answer. They have no talent. They have no skill. They, they have, have no sublime impulse. No, there's absolute. There is no sublime impulse. I mean, you look at something like you know, this is not exactly the metaverse, but you look at like the board ape yacht club or whatever, and you look at it, they're just they're repulsive. No, there's nothing yes. about it that, that <laughs> you know. And there's plenty. There's plenty of like you know street art, and there's plenty of like punk art and stuff that's that's cool and grabs you. But you look at this stuff, you're like, sure, but this is not agitprop. This is um. This is an issue, but that's why it's so horrifying when someone like Timberland is getting involved and having the apes rap because you go, well, Timberland, now Promiscuous is a great song. That's a bagger, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger is him doing the drums on that. This is a man who has devoted himself to an aesthetic (laughs) ideal and is there something intrinsic about the folly of chasing immediate gains, which maybe corrodes the aesthetic impulse. Uh, but potentially, there could there could be something about the velocity of the of the game because you know art has always been beholden to commercial impulses. You know, and some, yes. some wonderful art has, has emerged from like oh, when it's a wealthy Italian family, great things happen. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, like there are other things. Like the metaverse is meant to be a massively multiplayer space, and they're meant to be spaces where users which are built off user content, right? They're meant to be things where you can, like in Minecraft or whatever, get in and build build your own, you know, palace of sin palace in the middle of the, <laughs> the digital world, whatever it is you want to do. Um, and as a result, it needs to, it can't look like a, the beautiful latest video game. It needs to look fairly basic. Like you've made something crappy or, yourself. Or at least yeah. fairly basic just so it can bigger platform for that kind of level of creation mm. uh, but as a result you're right it does end up looking like something uh it just looks like it looks like completely like preschool garbage um, it's hot garbage i don't understand the um i mean someone like a mark zuckerberg is trying to who understands design yes i mean he he knows how to you know you have a square with a curved edge and people find that pleasing they do yeah, yeah. and he's really trying to push it but these are i mean the they look like me's from the the, the, Wii, the, the Wii. I mean, the, this is like ten to twelve year old yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I was I was reading a, a great post about like how it just by their by its very nature just absolutely infantilizes everything, right? Like, and they yeah. want they want everyone to live and work and cohabitate and do everything in these sort of online spaces, um, which I don't I don't think any evidence has been shown that people actually want to do that. Um, like, you know. It's so heartening to have you here because um, I well, to have you say that. I yeah, I see no. I feel no. I've never met a person who's excited by this. I don't. I don't think anybody wants this. Um, bosses don't seem to want it for their employees. Employees don't seem to want it. Friends don't wish to hang out there. Yeah. I mean, what was the what was the the version the something hotel Habbo Hotel? Uh, Habbo it was hotel. like two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah. Habbo Hotel. We actually, I mean, we had it right. We had a two D version of that, yeah. and people quickly decided after about three months, um, this is not very good. And the, yeah, and the people that were left were like, you know, the the strange people who are. Or there's, a, you know, I firmly believe that there is X percentage of the population who 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 will always love who the moment the the concept of like a virtual chat space or a virtual sort of universe presented itself we're like this is me you know and they and they've they've been in have a hotel they've been in second life obviously second life 
is the other one that comes up a lot. I mean, there are positives to it. At the Travis Scott Second Life concert, <laughs> no one was yeah. crushed. Everyone had yeah. a similarly um, bad time. But, but, you know, there's that's the the portion of the population that are really hard. And, like, the people that get married in the in Second Life or whatever, you know, again, that's that's not going to be the experience of everyone. Yes. But that there is some sort of alienated person who's very uncomfortable with having yeah. flesh. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they want to upload their consciousness to yeah. the singularity. They're ready to do it. Um, but I'm not convinced that there's a lot of people that that represents, obviously, the average person. Um, and, look, when you think of, like, the reason any of this stuff is happening is because the major tech platforms, you know, Facebook and whatever, they've seen massive user attrition. They've seen young people don't like being on Facebook. It's it's a pretty unpleasant website all around. Uh, but then they look at something like Fortnite. Places where they actually want to be. Exactly, and that, that was the Travis Scott concert, whatever. But the other part, obviously the part about Fortnite is that, like, there is something that actually brings people to Fortnite to then start doing the socialising, which is a game. It's like a game that's like is built by this vast, uh, which was like almost accidental in the in the huge amount of popularity. Okay, but it's it's fun. The output is fun. You go there, you 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 shoot, you build, you play multiplayer. You have a nice time. You win, you whatever, you win. Um, whereas like I don't, I'll take your word for it. It seems fun. It seems fun. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I I, I mean, uh, it's not for me, but obviously it is for a lot of people. Um, and then, but the alternative that uh, Facebook or Meta or whatever is giving us right now is will come to this space purely because in an abstract sense you love being in an online space. There's nothing here for you apart from sort of just being there. Well, I guess this was the this was the joy of Facebook to begin with is that it didn't... I mean, no social network actually exists other than being a place that people want to come to and use their ego to populate it. So it's it's a real if you build it, they will come thing and I guess they're banking on but the people, that, but the, I, the people will come yeah exactly um, I, mean, plus, I, don't even, I don't know how to arrive I don't know where it is yeah, well, yeah, they, <laughs> at so some well, point they'll just give us all a big button on the Facebook feed going click here now click into the, and then to the metaverse yeah uh, obviously you need to really use it you need to get yourself a, a VR headset or whatever I don't know if you're inclined to do so I you know there's a long David Foster Wallace um, passage where he writes about uh, the the importance of not getting one so that he um, does not become addicted to a special new kind of pornography. Yeah, is that you? Continue, <laughs> yeah, I just don't need. I just don't feel like I need that in does, my does, life. Like yeah. I, have, I have enough screens that would take me to very degenerate. Exactly. Um, like I'm really trying to live a good life, and the thought of having a total 3D space is like I, you know. There are so many vectors of temptation in our lives, and why why add another one? If I can start curbing them now, that's exactly. That's, that's Put your foot down right well, like, now. TikTok, you know, they say this yeah. shows you whatever you want. And I know so many people on TikTok, and then I go, "Oh, is it just girls dancing?" Though, and people go, "No, no, TikTok is a, an infinity of it's a Wikipedia, it's um, the you know the works of Rembrandt, whatever. TikTok is everything, and it shows you what you really, really want." <laughs> You know, and I, I frankly I, don't want to know what, what the algorithm what I really has want. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I quite like the fact that the Instagram algorithm has only pegged me as a man who likes looking at maps <laughs> and, um, you know, chesty broads and violins. <laughs> like, that's what I get on the search function where, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't like any of those things, but it knows, <coughs> hey. <laughs> you do actually, yeah, you like to look You're at lingering. Yeah, yeah. The Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter thing. There have been some interesting takes, but the one that really I did enjoy is whether or not he bought it just because of his penchant for the Babylon Bee people. So they, they do their trans tweet and then they get their account on Twitter taken down, yeah. is my understanding. But they're given the right to have their Twitter account back if and only if they, they delete that tweet. 
Um, and you may know better than I, I, I can't think of another social media platform that has that level of demanding supplication. Like Instagram will just take it down and say, you've been a bad boy. We're not, we're not having that anymore. But I didn't realize, so Twitter will demand participation in removing yeah, that, that, Is that, that right? I'm pretty sure that's the, the, standard, the standard Twitter policy is that if you have an offending tweet, it won't just remove it. It'll make you delete it. This is fascinating. This is a fa- this is what to me sets Twitter out as an interesting company. Is that, I mean, you could in a negative sense you could view that as sort of like this is the red guard thing. Like we don't want to just control what's on there. We want you to bend the knee and you, we'll put you in the aeroplane position until you come around and see that you've done the wrong thing. But then also there's something lovely about if you're off Twitter, it's not just that a faceless you know someone at at Facebook has decided they don't like you. It you must. Choose your own point of principle at which you're not to participate anymore, and that this is a very beautiful, um, you know, like no, I, I know, I know, what some you mean. sort of honor and no, absolutely, because you're like you're right because it doesn't come up. So, and other people have brought this up is that TikTok used by you know a great, much greater proportion of younger users in the US, right? And you, I think it's very easy to say that. Um, TikTok's influence on the discourse, the way people think, for younger younger Americans say, is far, far greater than what what Twitter does. Obviously, Twitter has often influences a lot more sort of the elite strata because there are so many people in elite professions and politics who use yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. But the, I don't know. Tom Holland does not have. Well, to one of the Tom Hollands has a TikTok, and it's not the one who wrote Dominion: The History of Western <laughs> Civilization. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but the proles. <laughs> if I can yes. be crass, are using TikTok <laughs> and and right and TikTok's um, uh, sort of moderation policies are unbelievably strict and arbitrary, right? Uh, incredibly arbitrary. Obviously, the the and the way this normally comes up in the media is talking about the China stuff, right? The China angle is very clear. If you if you post about the Uyghurs, it'll probably it'll your content will vanish, whatever. <laughs> and you know that you know that's one conversation. But on the other side of it is that. And it happens all the time. Uh, if you post a bit of offending content, your the, the the TikTok could be deleted instantly, and your account can also be deleted. And your only option is to make a new one until they figure out you made a new one and delete that as well. So you're right. It, it is that weird kind of like. So I, like it's very easy to be silenced and censored on TikTok, and have absolutely no reason why it happened. They don't have, they don't ever tell you why, um, and then have no have no real system of recourse, which. I partially understand with the, the sheer scale that they're operating at. Maybe maybe it's not possible to provide consistent avenues of recourse. Um, but then, yeah, and then and you compare that with the um, the Twitter thing, which yes, it has that really that, that kind of funny thing where it makes you sort of supplicate or accept their terms to return to the platform. But also, like all these conversations are so much more public and so much more. Well, there's there's a sense at which Twitter self-consciously wants to be the platform of free speech and comes out and goes, we, we are, no, we are the free speech platform. Exactly. Everything is fine here. And so then they are held to a standard. No, you're right, yeah. The thing I find really interesting about it is that, so, I mean, the, the way that Elon Musk talks about it and, and Jack Dorsey did as well before, before he left and it's one of, the inter- one of the internal missions. They have this thing called Project Blue, Project Blue Sky and they, they basically the concept is they want to turn Twitter into a protocol rather than a website. So turn it into basically the equivalent of email, right? It's this protocol that's out there in the ether and then you can you can make and then Twitter would just become 
like Outlook. It's one way of access. Well, it would actually it would actually be a platform rather than. I mean, it would be unsuable. It'd be, it'd it'd be unsuable. Right? Whereas so, at the moment, it's in that grey zone. And it's it's one of those things where, and I think that's one of the things that Musk sort of wants to do. Um, it's kind of yet to be seen whether they it's even possible to do that in a way that's compelling. Because the other platform yeah. that does this is Mastodon. I don't know if you've encountered that yes, one. Yes, I'm. I'm. I only as an alternative to Gab. Yeah, yeah. Like those were the two that really branched out. These exactly. Are the two other animal-based so, 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 micro. So, yeah, I mean, Gab. Gab's gone off on a fun, <laughs> weird. Do you get that man's emails? I do actually get his emails. Yeah. How was the pivot from this is a free speech platform to I am building the kingdom of God? <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, was, exactly. that was a fun. And no Jews yeah. allowed or whatever. Um, but- My good talk about a man who's just quietly <laughs> um, getting on with his anti-Semitism. Well, yeah, they I mean- just. It's it's an it's an incredible way of illustrating the different ways you can do it. It's like you know, yeah. Twitter is is its thing. It's like a monolith. They people say yes. you know it's got like a progressive left left wing bias, which reflects the progressive left wing bias of much of Silicon Valley. And what so what do you do when you go? Okay, I'm going to create an alternative. You can go the way of like Getter, which is the other big one, and say we're making the free speech platform. You can go yep. the Gab one, which is. We're not making a free speech platform. You can <laughs> we were def- making a free speech platform. <laughs> However, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It, we're getting ready for the Christian genocide. Exactly. And we're going to need to be able to talk to each other. So yeah. we are making an explicitly sort of like right wing alternative. We don't really expect anyone who's not of our sort of persuasion to sign up or have a very good time yes. if they do. Um, <laughs> or there's this way that you know Twitter wants to do uh, ostensibly, which is, uh, or, or Ma- and Mastodon did as well, which is like, let's just take the actual company that runs it out of the equation altogether, make it completely Mm -hmm. neutral playground that you could, a protocol that you can then access and do whatever. Um, But in the case of Mastodon, I I don't know if you've ever used it, but it's just, it's incredible. It's got all these different instances and like you can host servers. And the moment you sort of introduce that sort of element, you're like, well, people are not going to use this. I feel like there's something, when you run a, a, a platform of this scale that Twitter is at, I think everybody accepts, except for like real, if you're a real free speech fundamentalist, you would say it's great. We should have a platform where there's absolutely no moderation whatsoever. Yes. People should be able to say whatever you want and let's, and society can sort of work itself out through brute force essentially, right? Um, And there's a lot of people that believe that, great. But I think most people, whether they're left or right, don't necessarily believe that. I think people agree that there's, some things shouldn't be allowed in sort of public discourse whether it's you know isis recruiting or whether it's like child pornography whatever it may be right so obviously even in musk's sort of like free speech utopia and i'm sure elon musk would probably agree with that to a certain extent as well there has to be some guard some guardrails right but i feel like what the moment you start putting guardrails in what and you have what is essentially a gigantic open air internet forum where everyone is sort of having at it and doing what they want and it becomes sort of like an online society, as Twitter is. Twitter is sort of its yes. own online society with its own sort of power structures and systems. It becomes about a negotiation of interests, right? And as with any sort of like political system, whether it's in real life or whatever. And I feel like decisions will have to be made within that sort of negotiation, which will inevitably be controversial. When, no matter which way the pendulum swings, or who is affected, if some major group is affected in some way by some decision. And I just don't know if, if, 
Elon Musk wants to be the guy that's sort of holding the bag at the end of that kind of negotiation. Yeah, there was a great, I forget who it was, someone someone who used to run a social media website did that big long thread about like, look, this is the day-to-day. Yes, 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 yeah, I saw that. Yeah, totally, it was very long. So you you certainly want to be a part of that. Yeah. But I mean, is then the end point, I mean, these are, these are private companies fulfilling a role that used to be done publicly. Yeah. Like in terms of what's defamatory, uh, you have you have judges. You have the ability to sue. You can you can vote in new people for new laws. So I mean, TikTok might have an easier way of doing that because it's so obviously connected to the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. But I think maybe some form of state ownership um, and the extension of the franchise and oversight to you know the minister for Twitter yeah. is maybe a more comfortable home for it in the long run. Like, if it's going to be violence and speech is violence and whatever, sure. give it to the people who have the monopoly on violence yeah, yeah. to sort out. Uh, and then, you know, bloody revolution can... Yeah, no, totally. I, I think... Um, and I think this is where the conversation will inevitably go as well. Because, uh, you know, it's... I, I don't think anyone will... Unless you're, like, a really massive Elon Musk fanboy, uh, of which there are many people. It's a, it's a, it's a large part of society, great. Makes a good car. He makes, yeah, well, you know... Um, I like his girlfriend's songs. <laughs> um, Two of them. Two of them are great. I, th- yeah. I think most people would say, look, if even if you're a, a free speech maximalist, the idea that it's one really rich guy that's sort of the safeguard of free speech and he's he's the, the, the one guy holding back the, the hordes of censorship, you would not find that a totally amenable situation. You would prefer that it was something a little bit more stable. Yeah, I mean, there are Randian people out there who would say that's the you know only the great men of history exactly. can be trusted yeah, exactly. totally. to yeah. um, to oversee these things. But I think on a the fact that that person then has to hire a bureaucracy of people to sit at a computer and and say yes and, or no and enforce it. Yeah, yeah. So like I say, it becomes it becomes that, that sort of bureaucratic negotiation of interests, uh, which is yeah. which is what society is. But um, again. That's what ends up sort of holding the holding. The I game. just think I think the best we can do is to have those people visible, and attack, you know, like in the way that Japan in the lead up to World War Two, when the government didn't want war and the people did, you could go out and find a minister, and um, usually shoot them. But um, <laughs> there was some some form of visibility, like to have we we have an elite, and I think this is what the post liberal sort of um, uh, you know Matthew Schmidt's compact magazine first yeah. things people really got. Um, in a way that the, you know, sort of normie evangelicals didn't, I think, which is that we, we had an elite, we had the waspy yeah. people in charge of society. That has now been replaced by some sort of, I don't know, like whatever whatever that Silicon Valley um, power behind the Democratic Party thing is, that seems to be the, the taste-making elite respectable opinion yeah, yeah, that you yeah. have on in, you know, prestige media and prestige television. And that that's sort of that is invisible at the moment um, to many people, or it looks normal. And you've got to put those people in a shiny hat. It's okay sit, to have an overlord. They need to sit but behind show us a, where they are. Sit behind an elevated desk or whatever. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And I think you know, even even the things about um, uh, again, like it came with Musk, but obviously it's come it's come up from all sorts of different institutions. This idea of you know algorithm algorithm transparency or trying to make Yes. Bring some legibility to how algorithms work. Um, let people pick through the code and, and tell you what they find in there. And, 
you know, Facebook has tried to, this is not the algorithm transparency, this is more about the visible elite. Um, they tried to do that with their, like, Supreme Court or whatever, I can't remember what it's called in actuality, but it, it's like their panel of people who outside of this Facebook structure who make decisions, and they're normally, like, you know, academics and experts from within, you know, whatever, the world of... Well, and then some of the decisions they were, they were popping out were, I mean, were genuinely fascinating and ethically, like, I mean, it's like, you know, something that you get from um, Peter Singer, where I remember the, I mean, the big one that jumped out at me was the, was the white nationalist, white supremacy uh, divide, that it was... Oh, yes, we, yes, yes. Like, to have, uh, eth- to have ethno-supremacy is a, is a banned idea. We, we can't have that. But to argue for an ethno-state... Is fine, yeah, um, yeah. Is actually okay. You know, if you, want, if you want to say that Japan's a good country, we're not going to take that away from you. But then there must be... So you have to have... Uh, so that I guess you can only have the virtues of... Of self and oikos, so oikos is fine, but but uh, bigotry is not. I mean, it was it's just it's great. Yeah, and no, I think the more of that that we can express better. It, it's beautiful to watch that stuff unfold, and basically have them try to be like, we're not, we don't operate like a state. We're a platform. We're not a publisher. We're not anything. We're just kind of a space where people are, are then trying to pluck these sort of like moral values from the ether that sort of but that align with whatever the external pressures happen to be. Dear listener, I'm just going to interrupt the interview for a moment to let you know about the James Donald Forbes McCann Cameron Plan Patreon. If you're enjoying this episode of the podcast and you'd like to hear more things from me, exclusive things, you can sign up to the James Donald Forbes McCann Cameron Plan Patreon. And for a very small amount of money, I think as low as $5 a month in Australian currency, you can hear ever so much more and help me get on the journey to boat ownership. Okay, now that I've let you know about that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Let's get back to the interview. This kind of idea that culture is stuck and that there is no sort of forward motion in culture. This is the, it's always, 1990 was always 10 years ago. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. And the, the way it's because you used to be able to, vo- to divide culture into, you know, 10-year blocks, which was never mm. like particularly uh, entirely accurate. And a lot of it was sort of imposed by cultural analysts and the media and whatever. But, you know, you... If if you go to someone, what was the what was the nineteen sixties? What was the nineteen seventies? They could they, they probably they could they could yes. they could picture a, a person in a particular kind of dress, listen to a particular kind of music, you know. Um, yes, and then after um, and not co- not coincidentally, after the internet came and sort of like shattered monoculture, um, and mm. that's 
became a little bit more disparate. What were the 2000s? Kind of harder to picture. What were the 2010s? Yes. Almost impossible to picture. I mean, you can, again, I couldn't tell you. Exactly. Yeah. You could probably think of some of like the big movies, the big musicians, big artists and whatever. But that, it, would, it bleeds much more into... It, it bleeds, yeah. And uh, it's, it's so 10 con- years forwards and backwards. And, you know, the 24-hour media culture, the, the internet, everything moves very, very quickly. Everyone gets their 15 minutes of fame and then recedes into, into yeah. nothingness. You know, we're, we're basically two years into the 2020s and it hasn't really asserted itself as a, as a, um, a decade with a clear identity either. Yeah. So, well, can I make only one point there is that the the main thing that does define it is a virus from a year that wasn't even in the 2020s. So that's the, exactly that's disgusting to me that that's what happened. Have you seen Uncut Gems? <sighs> it just it came out as my first child was being born. Okay, so I, I never got around to it. Great film. Um, but one it's set in 2012. So this is one of the yes. really interesting things in setting something as sort of as a period piece within the same decade and trying to like date it. And one thing, because, you know, it is of its time. It's based around an NBA game that actually took place in the 2012 season, right? And the movie came out in 2019 or whatever. So one of the things it does to sort of age it is that it's constantly, like, showing text message conversations on screen using sort of the iPhone interface of 2012, which wasn't that long ago, but is, like, radically different to what it is now. And it was this really strange kind of like, I was watching that and like feeling like a very, like a weird nostalgia, right? Like you look at that, you remember yeah. the sort of like the life you let, you live through sort of like the computer <laughs> interface. Um, and you look and you're like, that is fuck, that's 2012. That's fucking 2012. Yeah. There's no broad cultural <laughs> markers for me to really think back to. You could play me the hits from that year and I probably wouldn't place them as being of that year but I saw like a, I saw a, a specific you saw a computer screen you saw an was, iOS and, and you was, went I was taken back I was transfixed to another time yeah, exactly yeah 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 um, well that, that I mean that's maybe the greatest artistic shift as well that I hadn't thought about is when iOS I think it was iOS 7 yeah. was the first sort of flat one the flat one and then yeah. every iOS since then has looked exactly like yeah. iOS 7 There's no, it was the end of history yeah exactly for iOS's yeah exactly the, but before yeah. then it's also the first post jobs Moment, and not to not to say that only great geniuses can drive history and move it, but the Tim Cook era has been as free of innovation as possible, and that there basically has not been a big crazy person um, well, yeah, exactly. making decisions at you these can, companies since then. You try to you say what year did like the iPhone nine or whatever come out, or the iPhone ten or whatever. You probably couldn't place it, but you look back at yourself and be like, oh, this has got a real. Here and there was a depth to it, and it's kind of yeah. You know, maybe that is kind of sad in a way. Is the only way we can sort of situate ourselves in history is by looking at like a computer, like a different. The di- but I love it because yeah. even personalities. Because I, I, I realize <coughs> that it's um. I mean, ideas have accelerated. Things that people have said, yeah. you know, five years ago now, unimaginably hateful now or whatever. But the people saying those ideas have not shifted in the way that they would have in the past. Like the thought that you would have a pop star um, who stays, you know. You get two albums and you're out on your ass. Yeah. Was, I think, the 1970s. Cindy Lauper, great, huge star. woman had two songs yeah. and she was done. No one knows what the follow-up was. <laughs> yeah. But that everybody at the start of Facebook, all the pop stars who we right at the start of that, you know, Web 2.0 thing, a Katy Perry, a Beyonce, a Lady Gaga, a Rihanna, these four, you know, Adele, you, you could go on, but they, they have maintained the cultural hegemony throughout they would all have different talking points now and have very different things that were important to them as things pass through them and that you know they would denounce what they said before but those are you know those people that in the pantheon there's an ossification yeah. of an elite there 
Yep. Um, and, and no one really, you know, you get the sense that Dua Lipa, no matter what she does, how beautiful she is, yep. how many great songs she has, there's no breaking through. To, to like, exactly, that kind of like pop culture, like gerontocracy that sort of rules yes. the top. Yeah, I was, actually, I was actually thinking that with regards to like Brianna as well. Being like, I remember, like, you know, listening to Billboard hits in like 2005. Um, yeah. And she's like, she's still kicking, still, and it's still a big event when she's got a new album. Uh, but you know, and like even the the classic rock, when they, I mean, they seem eternal now. Yes. But like they had very objectively pretty narrow periods of cultural dominance. People go, David Bowie, wow, five decades of great music. You go, ah, oh, Better <laughs> of Suburbia had a song on it. You know what? Are you, what are we fucking talking about? Yeah, exactly. Who's yeah. going back and listening to nineties Bowie, two thousands Bowie, one song off Black Star? You know, you have a little maybe a little peek at the end. But uh, people disappear, and now I think, I mean, Beyonce will just keep having hits until she's dead. Yeah. There is a total, um, which especially is, you know, something could be said about the fact that most of those people, they're all women, actually, all those big stars. Some rappers can keep going. Yeah. But there's a much higher, I mean, like Jay-Z has not continued to have a successful mainstream music career. No, hits. Kanye does not have hits anymore. No. But you sense that Lady Gaga will never be, she will be 105 years old. And she'd be going, this is <laughs> Tony Bennett's still alive and we're still coming out with the good stuff. Um, and look, at some point, I, I, I have to let you go. I have no idea how I can use any of this to buy a boat other than I'm frozen out of the elite on the internet and there'll be no cracking through now. Okay, no, well, absolutely it's... not. You can, never, you can never, <laughs> never join it. But if you do manage to find the boat, I think I'm entitled to one, one trip. One short we'll discuss that off air. Well, I don't want to publicly acknowledge that people are allowed on the boat for coming on the podcast, or else it'll just be full of oh, okay, sorry, people yeah, who want to okay. get on the boat. But you know, perhaps discreetly in a private capacity, I would love to have you <laughs> on the boat. Okay, of course. <laughs> Thank of course. you so you know much. What? Forget I said anything. I, people won't see that I'm winking, but very good. <laughs> That's the end of the chat. Thank you to James Hennessy. Go and sign up for the terminal. His wonderful Substack that I read, and he also has a Twitter account that you can find at JR Hennessy on Twitter. You can find me on social media as well. If you look hard enough, I'm sure you'll do a good job of that. And the Patreon, getting that money for the boat. Oh, uh, if you've never listened to this podcast before, go back and listen to some previous episodes. It's very boat centric stuff. And together, we can achieve me owning a boat. All right. Thank you all. Catamaran ho. Have a good one. Keep it real. Believe in yourself. Ciao.